is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. <laughs> what? Yes, I am wow. a rapper. So, um, rest oh. in peace to Meek Mill. I am now Stanley Phil. <laughs> um, and I'm rapping. Okay. You know, rapping. Speaking of rapping, I actually heard Dr. Dre's new album came out as part and parcel of the movie. I heard it's really good, too. So, we keep waiting for this album, and apparently it's out, and we don't even know it. But it's ghost written. Like, I wonder who wrote the album for yeah. him. Speaking of writing things. All right, guys. So, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on... W-H-C-R. 90.3 FM. The voice of Harlem. Of Harlem. Yes. Harlem, um, <laughs> thank you for the, the sound effects. That's how that, the, the, um, the station ad does it. The voice I think they Harlem, do it a little Harlem, better, Harlem, so maybe we should Harlem. just stick to the, the I think promos. you're being judgmental, and I don't like that. I probably am being judgmental, guys. Well, we're back. It's been one whole week, um, but I'm here. Jackie's back. Hey. And as you know, Stanley's back. Guys. And Alyssa. Everyone sounds so tired. Wake up. You're the only one who went to sleep at 4 o'clock in the morning. I went went to to bed at like... I was like... I fell asleep on the subway. Mm. I hold my parents. But I had people with me that knew me, thankfully. But I went to the Queen's International Night Market last night in Flushing and ate so much food and like passed out like a pure glutton. (laughs) So I'm a little... I'm like in a food coma still. Yeah, I went to bed at 4.30. You know how I know I'm old now? Like I'm not about taking the train at a certain time of night. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have to. Like I'm hopping on a cab. I took the train last week because I was in Mount Vernon Mm. and it was like 3 in the morning and I'm like, what am I doing here? Westchester? 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 Westchester. No, I actually went to bed early last night but I was up in Duchess and I was kayaking all day so I was just totally beat because we were like laying out in the sun and exerting physical uh, energy that in order to know. push a kayak in the Hudson River. That so sounds fun. I was like 1130. I'm fun. done. I'm going <laughs> back. Out of it. Night, night. <laughs> All right, guys. Just in case you didn't catch on, my name is Selena Hill. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's Miss Selena Hill, spelled with an MS. And, of course, you can follow me on Snapchat where I have the most fun. And it's S.Hill2020. But only, mostly just on the weekends because I, I rarely snap during the week. But I'm like... I'll share everything. You on can the also, weekend. you know, you can read her interview at Scatter Radio. Oh yeah, yeah definitely, oh, yes, definitely. Yes, yes. We're gonna talk about Scatter Radio as soon as we introduce ourselves, and then we'll talk about ScatterRadio.com. All right, that was weird. So this is Stanley, your favorite engineer on the PC ones and twos. I went on a mini bike tour yesterday, so I rode to Astoria and ran into a horrible person, but thankfully I didn't Me. let that ruin my day. Oh <laughs> hey Jackie, I didn't <laughs> yeah. see you there. Okay, I was like, did you guys go on a picnic together? Yeah, Stanley and I. And I went there, ate their food had and left. A, yeah, yeah, Stanley showed up, ate all our food. There's a ballet going on in the park. It was very. I felt smarter. I was drunk. until Stanley showed up, and then I felt. Did you a just lot dumber. St- did you just leave when the cops came, Stanley? Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah pretty much. I got pulled over yesterday too on my bike. <gasps> did you really? Yeah, because the cop thought I stole my bike. Stop it! No, seriously. Stop. What? Sort of in his defense, like I think I rode past just as a bunch of guys were stealing bikes from these people at brunch because I saw them hop on bikes and go Flatbush. <laughs> Stop it. That did not happen. So they basically just blew their cover by screaming Flatbush. Criminals are not always the brightest criminals in the box. And and like 10 minutes after that, the cop pulled me over. He goes, like, some people just reported bike stolen. Where did you get this bike from? I'm like, I'm coming from Harlem. I can show you the route from my Strava. And he's like, there's no need for that. Like, you know, go ahead about your business. (laughs) But I'm like, oh, maybe they were stealing those bikes. Because at first, I'm like, don't. I'm like, are they stealing bikes? I'm like, Stanley, that's wrong. Like, don't assume the worst. But now, I think... (laughs) 
I think that's exactly what happened. Yikes. But Hilarious. you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. It's also known as Kelly Kapowski's Bay. <laughs> yeah, I saw that this morning. You I can like follow that. you on, on Strava if you want to bike yeah. along yes. with him. Yes, if you want to bike along with me. Also, I just joined a biking crew, so I'll be biking a lot more, which I'm excited about. You can follow me on Snapchat at Darkskin Swindle, which is pretty much just me snapping my bike rides and yeah, complaining he about the hills. Snapchat's wall bike riding, so watch Shut out for that. stupid face, Jackie, <laughs> loser Cohen. Hey. And um, I, I'm on Instagram straight flexing, but apparently all I post is ratchet stuff on my Instagram, which I don't agree with. Or do I? But yeah, that's how you can follow me, guys. Cool. Anyways, <laughs> after that long, you know, yeah. I have to follow that long introduction. Um, I know, right? <laughs> it's like um, anyways, I'll try and be brief. My name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm uh, the legal correspondent slash resident civil rights attorney here. Um, and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I. Same on Twitter uh, or the Facebook Politically Preposterous fan page, which if you Google Politically Preposterous, you will probably find it. I would imagine so. Uh, Jackie? Yeah. Hey, I'm happy to be back. I'm Jackie Cohen. I'm uh, one of the political commentators for the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Barack Obama. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was good. At Jackie Cohen, um, J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. You can also follow me on Instagram and on Snapchat, where I snap pictures of Stanley making stupid faces at a picnic in the park. Best thing ever. Selena, can I uh, ask a question? No, you can't. Jackie is a political correspondent. Melissa is a legal correspondent. What am I? I thought you stupid correspondent. <laughs> That's actually pretty That's accurate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they only set himself up for that. But okay, guys, let me just give you some information because Let Your Voice Be Heard is now on Scatter Radio. That's scatterradio.com, one full word. And if you didn't know, Scatter Radio lets anyone everywhere listen, record, chat, and share live broadcast or MP3s. It's really cool, actually. So I've been checking out a couple times, like for the last two weeks or so, and I'm really into it. And every, everyone, anyone who knows me knows I'm addicted to podcasts. Mm-hmm. But this is cool because it's a little bit more grassroots. I think it's a lot of fun. No, it definitely is. So definitely check us out there at scatterradio.com. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast or anything like that, I would definitely recommend that you go to this network. Um, so speaking of networks, we have a great show lined up. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off the show speaking about, of course, the GOP debate. Dun, 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 dun. How Yay. often does God speak to you? I know. <laughs> that was an and actual it, question. And then someone, I, my friend tweeted, like, are we trying to elect a president or a prophet? Yeah. Like, I was just like, <laughs> no, oh, we're like somebody. doing an episode well, of Celebrity Apprentice, oh, uh, GOP <laughs> version. Yeah. Right? I don't, I don't, well, we're going to talk about the ups and downs, the best, the worst, the zingers, the things that may have made us really angry about that's, the GOP debate, aka Donald Trump's, like, side show. Like, it you was. Were angry? I was. So, I was laughing. I was overjoyed was so and overdrunk. Yeah, it was entertaining. It was overjoyed and overdrunk. As, oh my god! As so good. Right? There was so much alcohol involved. On <laughs> so good for Democrats. Yeah. So good. And then speaking of Democrats, later on in the show, we're going to talk about the Voting Rights Act, one of the most historic pieces of legislation to pass in America. We're going to talk about it because, of course, the 50th year anniversary just passed, and we're going to talk about you know our voting rights under attack. If you look at modern day voter ID laws. And the answer is yes, and we're going to talk about that. And then later on in the show, Alyssa will be speaking about one of her five million favorite subjects to talk about. Okay, but this probably makes top ten. It's the NYPD, police accountability, and body cams. 
Do you want to brief us 30 seconds? Yeah, so that's correct. Uh, I mean, basically, long and the short of it is there was a big lawsuit back in 2013. Uh, well, it started before that called Floyd. And as part of the set, I'm sorry, they the city lost that lawsuit, right? The police department and the city was found at fault. And so the judge said certain things have to happen now. Changes have to be made. And a body camera program was one of them. So the police department started a pilot program. And now the findings have come out. And now there's going to be some changes that need to be made before all police officers in New York City can be outfitted with cameras. So I'm going to tell you all about that later in the show. It's cool, cool. And guys, if you want to let your voice be heard, remember you can always call us up. The number is 212-650-6903 or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio or you can just watch my Snapchats because on breaks, I will be snapping. We'll be right back. Now watch me, Nana. Anyway, I'm not the only person from Queens here, Stanley. And you're not Stanley. the only person who's whack here either. <laughs> anyway, guys, we are back. That is Stanley just beating us yeah, up. Stanley, who clearly ignored the anti-bullying commercial <laughs> play during break. Exactly. Clearly. He's the biggest, to... bur- biggest bully here. Reminds yeah. me of Donald Trump on the pulpit a little bit. You That's what, what you remind me of. I would of. say something about you, but I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> Anyway, guys, so we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we're starting the show talking about the GOP debate. If you have comments, questions, or just want to let your voice be heard on um, your reaction, you can call us up, 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio, and you can also leave your comments on Politically Preposterous on Facebook. That was really good. Thanks, Dan. I mean, I've only been doing it for like five, six, seven, eight years. This is true. But also, guys, if you love this show, if you want to support us, make sure you go to whcr.org and give a tax-deductible gift. And then, gift. and yes, and then just make sure. Yeah, gift, not G-I-F, G-I-F-T. That's right. That's right. And, and then make sure you put Let yes, Your Voice Be Heard because exactly. if you don't, um, someone else will get credit for it. And then, <laughs> and then it doesn't sad. really count, right? Yeah. All right, it guys. It doesn't count as a gift anymore. So on Thursday... Mo- I don't even know how many people, but it was reported it was to be million? 24 million viewers. That which could be wrong. I That's what I heard. It was, it was like no, the it most was, it was viewers. Million. The yeah. most viewers to ever watch a um, primary Republican debate tuned into the primetime primetime hour on Fox News. Yep. I was giddy. I couldn't wait. Stanley was drunk. And we were just like, so I wasn't with yeah. Stanley, but we were just <laughs> so hyped up to watch the Republican debate. Can I just say yes. that afterwards I went and I got, I drunkenly ordered chicken over rice. And <laughs> That's never went, a good job. Yeah, it's not. It's <laughs> That's not. always a mistake. <laughs> always. It was a mistake that morning, guys. It was? <laughs> it okay. was good that night. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Taco Bell. I I went to Taco Bell first. It was closed. Oh man, that fascinating! You, that's I'm gonna go to the Taco Bell in Union Square. It's open until four in the morning. Oh, that's legendary. I won't tell you why I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So um, the GOP debate. It was the top ten Republican candidates who are doing the best in the polls. And center stage was Donald Trump. Donald mother loving Trump because oh. he was. I mean, I think he trumped the whole debate. He was so funny. He put Rand Paul in check. He put Megyn Kelly in check. He put, I mean, who, I don't know that he put Megyn Kelly in check. I they think she put him in check. Know. I agree. I, I think, disagree. I think she was the winner of the debate. And well, a lot of people are saying. I kind of well, agree. Well, let me, let me just throw that question out there first because we're talking about the GOP debate. And I want to know, who do you guys think 
quote unquote won the debate. And again, if you want to call in, the number is 212 650 6903. That's the first question. Yeah, I think we all lost. All <laughs> America Americans lost, lost the debate. Um, I think, I don't know. You know, I don't think Trump won. I think that he was really, um, he played up his character and he certainly, you know, spoke, you know, freely and didn't use a lot of the, like, you know, he didn't have a lot of the political censorship that his uh, running, you know, opponents had. They but he censorship? said things that, well, he said things that just were not true or didn't make sense. Um, but I think Megyn Kelly won the debate. I think that she did a good job of staying. You know, she didn't just let him get away with his his sort of antics and his, I guess, humor. I don't, I don't well, find him. That she didn't funny. let him get away with his antics, but she didn't stop anyone from telling blatant lies on stage. Well, of course not. She works for Fox no. News, so yes. she can't do that. So I'm not gonna give her props for like not acquiescing to Donald Trump when like she doesn't like hold anybody else in order. Like Fox. Lo- I mean, no she works for you Fox. Know, here's so. the thing. If you really want to talk about who, who like, uh, you know, who won the debate is hard. Who do I think shined? It, it, I think the debate showed that John Kasich is probably yeah. the only electable candidate that the GOP has, yeah. which means he won't get the nomination. Right. Because he was the <laughs> only person up there that actually made sense. I mean, and he's the only person up there that I think he could actually get some Democrats and those oh, yeah, people, definitely. those moderates in the middle yeah. to vote for him because he's so middle of the road and he's so moderate. And that's really what the Republican party needs right now but that's not essentially what they're going to that's the not going to be the they person need, not the one they they want deserve. right i i was tweeting john Kasich. 2016 but like of course I'm a Democrat but no I mean I think that with John Kasich he did a great job at introducing himself to a broad audience and showing that he's authentic and that he connects to average Americans and also the middle class and I think that he spoke from a very sincere place Mm -hmm. even when he gave his his testimony of of his hardships that he overcame um, and his you know um, when he was growing up and and even now today and some of the policies and reforms that he's pushing and how he's progressed on LGBT LGBT issues, even though he's still a Republican, I was I just fell in love. I fell you know, in love. You know who else had people fall in love like that? With like how nice and well meaning they were, even though like they had their religion and their beliefs. George Bush. Yeah. It was called compassionate conservatism. Yeah. And we saw how that played out. So John Cassett, go ahead, fall in love with how nice he is. He teared up <laughs> talking about his potential gay kid, and then he's going to get elected, and he's going to push forth all kinds of backwards legislation. Yeah. That's what I want to, I guess, ask everyone here is, you know, everyone that I've talked to has been super. I mean, that was like one of the biggest takeaways from the debate was John Kasich was, you know, oh, how great his answers were. But he had the most liberal answers. And the people that I was speaking to are, you know, most of the people that I hang out with are are pretty liberal. So is that, you know, is it sort of like a huntsman thing where it's like, oh, he was so great just because he's the most like us? Or is he a viable candidate? Well, just in case you guys don't know who John Huntsman is, he was a Republican candidate in the 2012 elections and he was the one that the president was the most afraid of before the election because he has Republican ideals but he was pretty moderate when he got into this field everyone was so crazy and so far to the right he didn't even break like like he didn't he didn't get anywhere as far as like polling right. went and couldn't win, win a single primary you know and there's something to be said about that a lot of people don't they don't realize or they don't think about it but like the election at least when it comes to the presidential election is uh you know the goalposts are the field is not that wide uh, you basically have 10 to 12 percent of people in the middle that are that already don't have their minds made up in like five or six swing states and those are the people that decide the election and i was actually just reading a really interesting article um that was about an analysis that's done by moody's moody's has correctly predicted the election every single election year for like over the past 60 or 70 years as as early as this far out and what they 
their prediction after that debate was that the Democrats will win this election, which is really interesting because normally when the Democrats have held the White House for eight years, it usually flips back to the Republicans. And they're saying already this far out, based on their data that they've been collecting, they already think the Democrats are going to win. And they're going to continue to update that prediction every month as it gets closer. If the Republican Party really wants to change that, I feel like the only two people that they could put up there that may be able to change that in the other direction is Bush and Kasich because of the fact that we're only playing in the middle between those 10 and 12 undecided people. And if they don't put one of those candidates up, they're going to have a really, really, really hard time. And especially because the largest growing demographic of voters right now is Hispanics in this country. And with the things that they were saying, a lot oh. of the things that they were saying about immigration, they are not Especially going to get the Hispanic I would, vote. I like, would say it, Rubio. But I think Rubio ha- would have a better chance in the agenda than, than Bush, mostly because with Bush, all you have to do is be like, well, Bush. Well, and, and, I well, don't know but, that that's true, though. Yeah, me either. I, I don't think that that, I mean, we used to live in a time where someone named Clinton you know, running for president would have the same sort of connotation. Like, oh, I would never elect another Clinton. And people who, yeah, I mean, people used to feel a lot differently about Bill Clinton than they do now. And and, and the thing is, just to add on to what uh, Alyssa was saying about when it comes to Hispanic voters and reaching them, Jeb Bush has proved to be the most progressive candidate when it comes to immigration. He has been. Not only did he say, yeah, when it comes to immigration, not only did he say that, you know, on the stage, um, you know, I believe that, People should, undocumented workers should be able to earn a path to legal status. And he said, that's not amnesty. And then Ted Cruz jumped in and was like, I am against amnesty. And even though there are other people on this stage who are for it, I want everyone to know I'm against it. And as we've seen, this is not the type of party and this is not the type of rhetoric that's going to win over a large demographic of voters. And it just sucks that after... uh, Republicans lost in 2012, um, they said that, okay, we're going to reach out, we're going to try different types of, you know, a a different type of agenda, we're going to try a different type of just a message, and they just pretty much flipped it back, and Donald Trump is not helping. I mean, and immigration isn't the only issue you see that with. If you listen to, speaking about Marco Rubio, right, listen to what he said about um, abortions when it comes to women who have been raped or women who are actually at risk of dying because of their pregnancy. Um, But just to about the rape thing for a second. He said that he has never supported exemptions per se. Um, he supported those legislations even with exemptions because he says they lead to less abortions. But at the same time, he essentially said it doesn't matter whether uh, you know, it, I'll use his words, a quote unquote child came into this world or a woman right. became president be, pre, uh, pregnant because of a horrible act that we shouldn't counter that with another horrible act. I mean, let's just break down what he's actually saying. He's saying if a woman gets raped, she should have to carry that pregnancy from the rapist for nine months and then have to have that child for the rest of her life. That's what he was saying. That does not help him with the women demographic. And he is not the only person on the stage that believes that. Extremely, extremely problematic. And, you know, speaking of things that would hurt a candidate in the larger realm. Um, who would you guys, and I'll throw ask the second question, who would you guys think um, hurt themselves the most in, in, in the debate? I don't, or, or maybe Chris, damage their image? Chris Christie, I think, actually hurt himself. Why? In the back and forth that he had with, um, Rand, Paul, with Rand Paul. And at, towards the end of it, he took a low blow and the crowd booed him. I forgot exactly what And he also was. lied. He wasn't appointed yeah. on September 10th, yeah, he definitely <laughs> What? Not. He, he was, was appointed like on December later. 7th, 2001. And it's verifiable. Which is a date that maybe, you know, an American running for office should remember. Yeah, yeah. it's verifiable by day. the press release from the White House announcing his appointment. Yeah, and he's been lying about the like, last five years now. Wow. You know, but just uh, t- uh, about that exchange that they had, 
who won that exchange is really going to depend on how you feel about the issue of privacy and liberty. Yeah. If yeah. you are sort of the person that believes that, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't have anything to worry about, and I'm okay with the government correcting all these records, you're mm-hmm. going to agree with Chris Christie. If you're mm-hmm. like me and you're like, no, Bill of Rights, like Fourth Amendment, it's really important, get a warrant, then you're going to agree with Rand Paul, then you're going to think he won that exchange. Real let me, quick, let me, guys, let me, um, I just want to make sure our callers know they can definitely call in to chime in. The number is 212 6903 again that is 212-650-6903 Siri just tried to talk but Selena is next Siri oh, to call in I know right um, no I'll tell you why Chris Christie run that little exchange no Rand Paul because when he told Chris Christie look you hugged President Obama I made boom that, drop the mic I made that picture you of my are the photo. one who hugged him <laughs> and, and I was just like what is that an argument? It was there. You know, it, Lisa makes a really good point because I'm one of those people who has, like, bounced back and forth between, like, liberty and, like, protection. And I thought Rand really won that exchange because what he said was, I'm not saying we can't, we cannot use right. surveillance against terrorists. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is it doesn't make sense to be, like, digging into the, the lives and the back pockets and the conversations of regular innocent Americans. And he drew a very clear line. And he said, Christy, you're very comfortable doing just that. And that's a problem. No, no, and, and that, that's absolutely right. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that Chris Christie is the one who hurt himself the most. I think that with Donald Trump coming out and being that candidate who's not politically correct, who's not a, a career politician, and who's going to say anything very candidly, very crudely, whatever it might be, um, I think that it sort of sucked up that space that Chris Christie was trying to do at one time. He was trying to be that very hard-nosed candidate who will say it like it is. Dude. And now I think that when Chris Christie talks, it's just like... He lost his appeal. He lost his appeal to the Republican Party, and he lost his appeal with Americans. But here's the thing about this this debate, which really amazed me. There were like some very, like 2012 debate, everyone had the same agenda. F. Obama, he's a socialist, right. get rid of Obamacare. <laughs> Donald Trump said he was okay for single payer, and the crowd responded in not a negative way. Yo, Donald, I don't think they get it, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, just also speaking, like, really, honestly, I think they like him so much that he could propose the most liberal policy ever, and they'd be like... Awesome. Awesome. Anyways, <laughs> but, you know, speaking of that, I really think that initial question, the first question that was asked about whether or not you would pledge to support the Republican candidate or whether you might run as an independent. I think that's really going to come back and hurt Donald Trump. People may have liked what he had to say, but the people who really who really understand politics and they understand the game and they know that if the if Donald Trump runs as an independent, he's going to split the Republican vote. They they're going to look at that and say, "Okay, I'm out. I'm not going for, you know, Trump or they're going to say, well, we better get Trump elected. One or two things We're either we better get him elected as the Republican candidate because because, uh, you know, if we don't, he's going to run as independent or I'm not going to vote for him because I don't trust him. What he did. Well, sort. I mean, yeah, I guess what he did there was essentially stand on that stage and say, I'm, I will blackmail this party <laughs> if you don't elect me. Right. He said, if I'm running no matter what and he has the money to do so, he can run as a third party candidate. And he basically stood up there and said, you know. Make me your candidate or I will run and I will pull the votes. And I think that just speaks so much to his character. Like, he doesn't care about this country. He, I mean, who knows how much they all care or how much they just want to be in power. But he has the, you know, everyone loves how candid he is and how he speaks his mind. What he did was he stood up in front of everyone and said, all I want is to be president and to have this power. So if you don't vote for me... I will do everything I can to disrail this party and, oh, yeah. or derail this party and make sure that no, none of you get elected. Yeah, in he, honor... He, oh, sorry, Shlyn, go ahead. 
he's all about himself. In honor of the way that um, they dealt with this at the debate, I would like to ask you guys, when we have 30 seconds before a break, which, how you felt when they asked a question about Black Lives Matter then didn't ask Ben Carson. And with that, guys, we'll be right back after this <laughs> brief message. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlow. And Ugh. we are back. <laughs> Just shaking my head. That I Rosie was, O'Donnell thing, I think, is so disgusting. Yes. So what he disgusting. said afterwards was even worse. He said something about like her period, or like oh, oh you yeah, were she was hormonal. And apparently about Megyn Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, Selena, I know you want to bring us back, so I, I won't distract. Oh this. no, go, go ahead. Uh, finish. Go apparently, um, that was the last straw for um, Fox. They kicked him out of like some red, the red state. Well, er Eric Dickerson, yeah, Eric Dickerson um, told him that he is no longer invited to speak at the convention that just happened over the weekend. So the majority of the Republican candidates were there, but they uh, specifically told Trump, "Do not come because of what you said to Megyn Kelly." Which is wow. ridiculous because anyone who has ever heard of Eric Dickerson or been on his on his Twitter timeline or heard his show knows that he has said worse about women than that. He is an extreme sexist uh, yeah. and a misogynist. But, and of all the things Donald Trump and other people have said, this is the line. I know, but the thing is, Eric Dickerson has said, you know, I'm not the one running for president, and I actually sure. apologize for some of that stuff. I don't necessarily agree. I think a misogynist is a misogynist, and we should call a spade a spade. But the one thing that I will not, the one thing that I appreciate about appreciate about Donald Trump is the fact that he is non-apologetic, and he is very transparent, and he is very blatant. He's like, look, if you elect me for president, this is what you're going to get: a narcissistic, arrogant son of a gun, sexist, all right? And I'm going to say whatever I want and I'm not going to be able to cooperate with other people. And it's like, thank you, Donald, for not playing politics and being a politician and just showing us this is who you are. I'm right. not thanking him. I <laughs> I have I mean, yeah, I guess that's good that, you know, but it's not good because everyone, like, loves it. And it just, like, oh, it's yeah. like humanity is just, Democrats. like, devolving into. I hope so. I want to donate to his campaign. It, I, I want to keep going. Just to keep him going, just, right? Yeah. I, he, it's hilarious. Uh, you know, the one thing he did say up there that, you know, I, I won't thank him, but I will give him credit for. He said something about how, like, I bought you. Oh, yes, Paul. And yes. like I bought Hillary Clinton. Yes. And the point yes. that he was making was more salient because there was no mention of Citizens United. There actually there was three topics that were not mentioned at all. Climate change, mm -hmm. income inequality <laughs> and wage, you know, wages being stagnant. What's that? Uh, yeah, exactly. The three things that the, the Republican Party doesn't believe in and money and politics. Although Trump sort of mentioned money and politics when he said, mm -hmm. I bought you Rand Paul. Hillary Clinton came to my wedding because I bought her. I buy politicians. I mean, like. And they ask him for money. Why, why yeah. is Trump not running as a liberal? <laughs> like, why is he not running on the Democratic ticket? Because he's not. No. Because, oh, right, because Fox News drafted him eight years ago to talk about the black guy's birth certificate. Yeah. Mm, he is the, the, the um, I don't know, you want to say that the poster boy for the birther movement. But Alyssa is absolutely right. Not only did he admit to buying politicians, which is a critical issue we have in our country, but he also admitted to skewing bankruptcy laws. And you taking oh, advantage, like, and, and well, and taking <laughs> advantage of it. He said, yeah, I did that. And then he also admitted, so buying politicians, of course, like we said, and he also admitted to being a sexist. And it was like, yeah. And then he got applauded. <laughs> yes. He got applauded. And that's what really 
worries me, right, is like, yeah, he exposed himself for being all these things. And we can speak, you know, we can look at him critically and say, well, he's coming out as like this huge jerk that's just admitting to all these like horrible things. But people were eating it up and they continue to. And it just worries me. Like, are these people that are like loving his brashness going to head out to the polls? And are they going to be out there on primary day? Mm. We'll see. Well, we'll see. And Stanley, before we went to. Oh, yeah, because then we'll definitely uh, Democrats will definitely just sweep right into the White House. Um, Before we went to break, Stanley asked a really important question that Fox News spent, I think, 30 seconds on. Um, Black Lives Matter. This is the most prominent civil rights issue of our time. And they they asked, I think, one candidate on stage. And there was one black candidate, Ben Carson, the doctor, the neurosurgeon. He's black. Well, on the outside, he's black, but I he, he's black on the outside, and he wasn't Ooh. asked that question. I think that I wasn't so disheartened or upset that they didn't ask Ben Carson. I was just so upset that they didn't spend more time on this pressing issue. And I thought that it was almost like a slap in the face to ask it right before you went to break to ask one candidate who had like a, a really rehearsed, well said answer, and then was just like. Ah, look, at least we covered that one, blackies, yeah. and they well, move right on. They treated it the, the, the exact same way they see black people in black lives, like as an afterthought. What, like they're like, hey, um, blackity black black, um, here's BET. Okay, bye. What did? Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing, right? As I mentioned before, they didn't talk about climate change, which mm. is probably, I mean, not. It's the probably the biggest issue of our time. That's not a civil rights issue, although it is sort of has civil rights aspects in it. Oh, climate, We've talked about environmental yeah. racism before climate in a previous racist. show. Um, you know, but like they didn't talk about. Like, as I said, climate change, wage stagnation, or income inequality. So what makes you think they would have given any time to Black Lives Matter? I, I don't know. You know the fact I, know. I, I actually find the fact that they asked one question about it when they didn't mention any of these three topics to be, you know, positive, at least in some respects, that it was on the agenda to ask about that, yet not one question was asked about climate change. Well, yeah, and then they spent more time talking about this war on political you know, oh. of political correctness oh, yes. and how oh, definitely. they're all over, which I mean, how pathetic do you have to be to say, oh, it's just so hard for me to be politically correct. I just don't, you know, it's to, to not offend people as a rich white man in this country is so hard. Oh. I just want to say what I want to say. And, you know, I think a lot of people responded to that and that got a lot of, of media attention where a lot of people feel maybe like they can't speak about, you know, they can't speak their thoughts without being labeled a racist or a sexist or homophobic. Um, and that is something that needs to be addressed. But the fact that, you know, they think that there is this war on political correctness, that's not the way. Um, no, Fox has definitely waged that war yeah. against political correctness. They are constantly saying and creating this illusion that the Obama administration does not allow people to just say it like it is. He won't say terrorism in a speech. He won't say jihad. He won't say ISIS. He has to be so political correct and the thing is that i what i found hypocritical is that fox for years now has continued to bash the obama administration for being politically correct yet and still they the question that they challenged donald trump on was oh why aren't you you know more politically correct and donald trump was like look i took a page out of you guys book we need to stop being so politically correct and someone needs to tell it like it is and i'm that person well yeah so i mean what needs to be understood is political correctness isn't just about semantics right it's not just about the words that you use and oh you have to use this word not that one it's about the meaning behind those words right 
right? So yeah. when Donald Trump is calling Rosie O'Donnell and other women fat slobs and all the other <laughs> disgusting things, it's not just about his choice of Thank words, right? It's about the meaning and what he means behind it, that, which is disgusting. Hey, but broad. it's also about the Republican Party in general, right? Like, the, he's saying those things, but yeah. it's not as if the Republican Party doesn't actually, like, believe those right. things. Like, right. they are a party that is extremely, like, their platforms are those things. He's just actually coming out and saying them, with I don't think necessarily helps them. Yeah, it riles up the base, right. but as I already pointed out, they're already going to have the base. It doesn't, like, the base is going to come out and vote for you, and it's a presidential election. It's not a midterm, so it's not like you need to rile up the base to come out. Like, the base they're is there. coming out, so if you're going to piss off all the people in the middle that are going to be like, hey, either I'm not coming out or I'm going to come out and vote for the Democrats the guy, instead, yeah. then, you know, but it, that's the thing. Everybody wants to say, oh, well, it's a problem with their what they say and their political... No, it's a problem with the party's platform. Yeah. That's the problem. They are their just... ideals. Uh, yeah, they are just saying the things. You can say all you want. Like, Trump's just saying those things. No. The Republican Party platform is anti-woman and misogynistic. So he's just saying the things well, that are already in the platform. As someone who has friends from all parts of the world, well, of the, the land, um... <laughs> I know a lot of people who I thought were like pretty smart, critical thinking human beings who totally love Donald Trump and they cannot understand this whole quote unquote political correctness. And me personally, I hate political correctness. I, I dislike it. I don't think that's true. Let me, so let me explain. Yeah, I, I know you don't agree. I don't want anyone to be polit- politically correct. I want you to be respectful and acknowledge people and acknowledge differences and experiences. Someone who's politically politically correct could not give a crap about the people that they're trying to be politically correct for. So you don't say girls, you say women. But meanwhile, you're you're, you're abusing people and condoning rape. Who cares about political correctness? I don't think that's true. I totally disagree. I think some people might be hypocritical and they might use politically correct terms, but you know maybe don't act like that just because you use like it's just because you're using those words doesn't mean that you're behaving in a way that says that you're anything else but no no i'm not saying that they but don't. i don't think that people that are politically correct are then going you know using that as their shield to do whatever no, they want that's not what, I'm people like crap. what i'm saying that just because like being pol- politically correct isn't the end all be all i'd rather someone show me their actions not in their statements and just because someone like is saying all the right things doesn't actually mean they believe that that's not to say everyone who's sure. politically correct well, is doing that but like that's like when you say oh well why can't they be more politically correct for what i know exactly what they're gonna do i know like i'm glad that donald trump is telling me the truth right but, and i, I but but I, and I actually agree that being non-politically correct can connect more to Americans because think about it. How many I don't you don't you know the type of person that I'm thinking of, but how many people would be like, you know what? Rosie O'Donnell is fat and I wouldn't want to lose my job if I said it because I do say it. You know what I'm saying? I think that there are a lot of people that think in these very negative discriminatory ways and they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to lose their job. But they're or, not or running for office. Right. They're like, not running it's, for it's not the presidential. I get it. It's not presidential to act and say these things, but it does connect to a and, certain group and of you know people. What, it doesn't like it still doesn't change the fact of the platform. It's like Obama said on when he went on Mark Morin's podcast, right? Mm-hmm. He said just because it's not polite to say the N word anymore and he actually said it, which I will not. But he said, I hope not, Alyssa. Just because it's not polite to say the (laughs) N-word doesn't mean, like, racism has gone away, right? Just because you're just not going to say, like, be politically correct doesn't mean the platform is getting any better because you're putting it out there in that way, you know? Like, okay, fine. It's not not nice to say the N-word in public, but we still have huge amounts of institutionalized racism, and it's not just about not saying the N-word. So it's not just about being politically correct or not. It's about what the platform is. Right, well... 
Well, it comes down to the old, you know, the old saying, actions speak louder than words. And yes. I think that's absolutely true. But at the very least, if you can use your words in a way that are kind to one another and that yeah. don't offend and that you're not using language that for someone could be very triggering or really, you know, right. like, why would you purposely you know, speak in a way that's going to offend someone else. If you know better, if you know that I can address someone in a way that's not going to hurt their feelings and offend them, that's like basic humanity. Like, just be nice. You know, don't, if someone says, refer to me as this name, this is my name, this is my gender, this is, you know, what I prefer to be referred to as, why would you just defy that? You know, and it comes down to something much deeper. So I think at the very least, especially for someone running for higher office or the highest office in this country, the very least, you need to be politically correct. If you are running for president of the United States, you need to address every person in this country with respect. No, I want to know who you are. Um, I, I don't care. I don't care. You can call me the N word. That's how you feel about me. That's fine. I know that when I see you, it's time to go to blows. Don't lie to me and smile on my face and then pass legislation that's going to set people of color back or women back or people right. from the LGBT community back. No, let me know who you are. Right. Jo- George Bush was like, "Hey, I just love Jesus and I want to help everyone." And then he underfunded FEMA and then he he banned yeah. stem cell research and then he pushed to the, the, the fun. Planned Parenthood and did a whole bunch of other crappy things. I don't even care about that crap anymore. Just like show me who you are, and I'll show you what I'll do. And guys, if you want to call in, obviously the number is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be polit- politically correct or respectful of people. But when it, the stakes are this high, when we're talking about people who are going to lead this country, I'd rather know what I'm dealing with. I don't want to see the spokesperson. This can't be a relationship where you think, oh, this person isn't that bad, and then six months down the road, they're stealing your money and, and punching you in the face when you're sleeping. Right. Well. On that note, I know we're getting some comments on Politically Preposterous, the Facebook page, and we're going to start reading those comments. Alyssa's been checking them. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely getting a bunch of comments. Um, We have one from Kat Morrissey. She says, listening to Scott Walker talk about being pro-life by forcing women to die has made me feel sick. Yeah. Mary says, it's a good day to be a... Mary Owens says, it's a good day to be a Democrat. Buck Hutton says, Huckabee believes in DNA testing, but not evolution or climate change. That's interesting. Um, We have Joyce Reed, who says, hilarious, but sad that this is the best the GOP can come up with. They used to be a respectable party. Uh, Celso says, repeal or replace Obamacare is a suffix to the suffix to the Republicans in this debate. Matter of fact, I think it was the last election season, too. Keep trying, guys. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are saying this isn't a debate. It's a sideshow. Um, somebody else wrote, I w- Sin Shepard writes, I would likely choose being waterboarded over this. <laughs> uh, Arresta Silva says, is this a debate or a question and answer period? Mike Sweat says, Fox News Circus, hope Trump runs as an, Trump runs as an independent and seriously disrupts any chance any of these clowns might have. Go Hillary, go Bernie. Quana says, it's a free-for-all. It's proving that it's a party that can't be taken seriously and certainly can't be trusted to hold the reins of power. And I'll end on this one. Misty Watson says, this is the longest Hillary Clinton commercial I've seen. How many times have they said her name? <laughs> that is hilarious. And I think that Hillary Clinton was just looking back, watching the debates like, thank you, God. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're all laughing at this. But a lot of people really support these ideals. Yeah. Like a lot of people. Yeah. And and it also what they've done is like they've, they've, they've co-opted the re- religious circle. So people who are like good God-fearing people who like, you know, who want to live a life a certain way but not impede on anyone else, they've co-opted that entire group and are like trying to take advantage of them. And the best example of that is a question I asked at the beginning of the show and was the last question they asked at the debate, which was... 
How often does God speak to you? How manipulative <laughs> is that? Do you know, do you know how many people who are like Christian or Muslim or they, they practice Judaism who are like the religion is so important to them, and these people who are obviously like answering to take advantage of that are given these big lies to get the support only to push legislation that will hurt them. That's a big crock of you know what. Right, idiots, idiots pandering to fools. Right, and the thing is, um, and a lot of people were tweeting this during while they were giving the answers. They were saying like, you know, I'm such a good person, and, and God is pushing me to do this. Yeah. And still within their own states especially the the senators and the governors they've pushed so many policies and so many bills and they've passed it that hurt of the majority of a certain type of people whether they be working class or just people of color so it's like if you're supposed to be this good righteous person why are you deliberately hurting these type of people scott walker claims to love god and god speaks to him every day meanwhile he has destroyed wisconsin and he has decimated the education system over there he's like put so many people out of work destroyed unions and is going at the women's reproductive rights like it's a game of a ping pong like this is ridiculous and this part god speaks to them god is not a jerk yeah. <laughs> i mean even even the question about the bankruptcies with trump it wasn't really about the bankruptcies it was the fact that, that like oh, thousands of people got laid off when he yeah. filed bankruptcy so you claim to care about jobs and care about oh, yeah. creation of jobs yet you engage in practices that actually makes people lose their job i mean so th- those are like the bigger pictures but here's a good he, actually i thought that was a good answer and here's why because if you're talking about a country like that's in like you have a bad academy and you have to find a way to kind of get through that he went through bankruptcy four times and like he came out the winner if I'm talking to Republicans and I'm saying I'm going to get us out of, out of like the like out of like the red, and these Republicans already don't care about poor people, gay people, black people, women already anyway. Who cares about the collateral damage as, as long as it's not them? It's a good answer, and also it brings to light a good point about bankruptcy laws and how big businesses take advantage of them. Because that's one thing that I flagged in my mind when I heard it. Right. Okay. So 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 wrapping it up now, um, we talked about a lot of the highs and the lows of the debate. Um, read some comments. I want to know what do you guys think? And this is the final question. So get all your final thoughts out. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this debate affect the candidates moving forward three months from now, three weeks from now? And either, in, even in, in 2016, was there something that was said that really either moved the election one way or another? How do you guys feel about that? I, I guess we're starting with Jackie. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the Trump stuff was really interesting in one way or another. Um, I think that his comments about not supporting the party and doing everything he can to either get himself elected or pull votes from their party. I think that's what the biggest takeaway from this debate, uh, quote unquote debate. It wasn't really debate. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that it exposed a lot. I think, you know, I've said before about Trump that his purpose in this election is to be so insane and so crazy that all these other candidates that originally like Chris Christie, who used to kind of be that figure in politics, he was like this like brash, polarizing figure. He looks like, you know, almost like a sweetheart compared to Trump, who is like, you know, so unbelievably insane. So I think that he's a distraction. But I think that now he, you know, by making that comment, I will blackmail this party basically (laughs) by pulling votes away. So you better make me your candidate. Um, That's where the power, I guess, if he has any really is. He's not just a distraction, but he could pull these votes. Yeah. No, I mean, I just I think uh, I, I agree with all of that. I think that at the end of the day, 
uh, I kind of want to reserve judgment until I see the next round of polling come out because I really like to see whether this uh, polls um, remain like they are where Trump's still in the lead, in which case you could say, well, the debate only helped him or whether you start to see his poll numbers go down and you could say, okay, he really hurt himself um, by doing that blackmail thing that Jackie just mentioned. But I mean, my final comment is this. When I watch the debate, uh, it made me think of this passage from the book Macbeth, which is by Shakespeare where Sheikh Macbeth says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury <laughs> signifying nothing. Mm. Wow. And um, Stanley? Oh, you're going to go next, Lena. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm so- so, I, it, oh, yeah. This is, your, this so, is my segment. Sorry, Celiante. <laughs> sorry, Celiante. So, so, my thoughts on this is that I was very impressed with John Kasich or Kasich, whatever you call him. I wouldn't yeah, vote for right. him. But he was the person who I thought was the most reasonable and who has done kind of a decent job in Ohio. And he's probably going to get no traction, which tells me a couple of things. One, the Republican Party is really, really scary. And two, the fact that this guy who doesn't have the best record as far as like governing in, in Ohio is like the most reasonable candidate tells me we are in a scary place, not just with our elected officials, but the way, but with the way that people think about things. And my takeaway from this is that, like, we've got a lot of work to do, not just in policy, but in, in ideology and thought process in this country. Right, you know, and, and I totally agree, and I echo what Stanley said, and I also think that it says a lot about the constituents that they're pandering to. Um, and and for, for the most part, I think that it shines a light that we need to see, especially with the people who are within progressive circles, and, you know, we, we sort of mingle with ourselves, and we, we talk about these things from the same type of viewpoint. But then again, there's this whole big country out there that thinks and and feels and agrees with the insanity and the, the the radical things that these candidates were saying. And I think that as much progression as we always talk about and, and, and we celebrate, we need to really take a hard look and say, you know what, this is still the country. This is still what a lot of people think, whether it's sexism or just being very dismissive towards racism. I mean, the things that we care about, you know, liberals, progressives, things that, you know, we're constantly talking about and constantly reading about is something that is you know an afterthought or is discussed in a very discriminatory way with a large part of the country and again i think that this gop debate um really just shine that light and let us see who these candidates are and who their constituents are and it's a reflection of our country in whole um, but on that note we are going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to go straight into the news roundup one of our favorite parts of the show so don't go anywhere this is let your voice be heard I see I'm too late. Girl, I know my ABCs. We oh, are back on goodness. Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Did I also mention that I'm rocking out on Scatter Radio now? Yes. And if you want to get down with Scatter Radio, don't because you're going to be listening to me instead. And then you can make your Scatter Radio afterwards and call it the Stanley Inspiration Show on Scatter Radio, holding it down in the streets, scattered out, radio talk, WHCR. I'm a rapper. I'm out of breath. Jack, you suck. Boom. So only 30% of what Stanley just said is true. Scatter Radio does exist. And you can definitely <laughs> tune in at scatterradio.com. Everything else was a complete lie. But uh, speaking of lies, there's so much to talk about when it comes to the news roundup. Oh this is God. the time where we share some of the stories of the week that either touched us, resonated deeper in our soul, or just made us go on a Twitter rant. Um, and if you guys want to share, the number is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. So there's like a lot of big news. I think we're going to start off pretty light and then just lead up into the big news. That's what she said. Um, hey, 
this is not light news, but I'll just mention that. So our Democratic senator, Chuck Schumer, has come out against the Iran bill. We know that he is the third ranking Democrat in the Senate. He is leading up to become the next Senate majority leader if the Democrats take over the House. And he's also very pro-Israel because he is Jewish himself. And he was like, you know what, Obama? I didn't like Obamacare and I don't like this Iran deal. He voted for Obamacare. That's totally inaccurate. No. Yeah, but he, also, he definitely came out against it too. No, though. no, no, uh, the Affordable Care Act. He, right, uh, right, that's what I'm saying. That part was inaccurate. He did come out against the Iran deal, but 29 U.S. scientists actually came out in favor of the Iran deal. Uh, leading experts in nuclear weapons and arms control call it an agreement that's innovative and stringent, and that will be good in preventing us from going back to war. Yeah. Also, the fact that he's Jewish, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that has a piece to do yeah. with it, but um, I don't think everybody that's Jewish is also a Zionist or also necessarily pro-Israel well, or every black person is Black Lives Matter, right. as Ben Carson and Don Lemon show us. So not every Jewish person is like a Zionist or pro-Israelite as... And even people that are in favor of Israel are, are uh, in favor of this agreement. I mean, on one hand, you yeah. have APEC, which is like very much against this this agreement. They're very more right, center-right uh, lobbyist group. And then you have J Street, which yeah. is like your left uh, right. group that's also very pro-Israel. That's coming out in favor of this uh, deal. And Bernie Sanders came out in favor of this deal. And he's Jewish as well. I think it has more to do with Chuck Schumer's constituents. I mean, he's getting a lot of calls. And that has to do with lobbying groups like APAC. So I think it's deeper than just Jewish or Israel. And and it has more to do with, you know, politics. Yeah, absolutely. And money, probably. And maybe donors are not super happy with him. But that's just a that's just a guess. Yeah, I think it has more to do with donors. I asked a question about it on Facebook and it went downhill from there. I saw that debate. Yeah. (laughs) This morning, but I wasn't going to get involved in it because I would have been no, I would have been late to the show. I would have probably gotten into debate with one of your friends, um, and then been late to the show, and I did not want to do that this morning. Well, speaking of debates, there was this huge debate on the View when Kelly Osbourne. Well, it started a a huge debate on the internet. So Kelly Osbourne, she was one of the guests on um, the View this week. Well, last week. No, no, no. She, they just have, like, frequent guest hosts or contributors. Oh, okay. And they were talking about Donald Trump, the favorite, uh, you know, one of the biggest things to talk about right now. And she was like, you know, Donald Trump is, he made racist comments about Latinos. He mm. called Mexicans rapists and, you know, serial killers and et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, and so Kelly said in response, you know, Donald Trump, if we export all the Latinos in the country, who's going to clean your toilets? And, like, Rosie Perez just looked at her and was like, "Um, you know that, you know, Latinos do other jobs besides cleaning people's toilets. And then Raven Simone jumped in. Ruby Goldberg did not jump in. Um, But uh, from there, it just sparked a whole lot of controversy because Kelly was trying to make a, I don't know, she was just trying to make a point that we shouldn't export, export, um, deport, excuse me, we shouldn't deport all Latinos or undocumented immigrants. But she was saying, like, the reason is because we need low-skill workers. I think she was trying to make a joke. A joke? And Nobody laughed. Because, no, obviously, I'm not saying that, like, it was funny, but I, like, I think, I would hope that like, it was I just a really know. bad attempt at a joke. It was sort of like a poor taste. Like, yeah. she's, yeah. you know, this, like, rich, affluent person right. that is probably, you know, she could have made this point where presumably the point that she was trying to make was that he probably exploits low-income and low-wage workers, you know, or, like, it, he gives right. off that air that, you know, so many... Um, more conservative politicians have been like found to who I forget who it was. 
I'm last sure. time around that was another Republican candidate for office that um, was very anti-immigration that ha- was hiring undocumented workers. Oh. Um, so she was say- making a point, presumably, that, you know, maybe he takes advantage of these people in that way. But yeah. right to, to say, like, who's going to do this for you <laughs> is so in poor taste and you know, yeah. wrong. Yeah. It's just one of those things where people are so out of touch. Like I was right, watching exactly. last Sunday night, I was watching I am Kate, which mm. I don't know if you've been watching, um, is the, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, show on, um, E and they were on the bus they were going on this road trip thing and um, what these other trans women were trying to explain was that um, trans people have a really hard time in the workplace they get fired because of their sec- their gender identity etc and so a lot of times they have to take advantage of social assistance programs and Caitlin turned around and made like a very conservative comment about how like well you know sometimes it just makes more sense to be on these programs than to work and then off you know how they like cut to off camera comments and all these trans women were like she just doesn't get it because she lives in this bubble and she's allowed to be conservative but what she doesn't understand because of her position of being a person of privilege is that a lot of trans women and especially trans women of color they get fired from jobs over and over and over again and if it wasn't for the social programs they wouldn't be able to eat they would have nowhere to live like they would be dead and so it's not that they're taking advantage of the social programs because they don't want to work it's because they keep getting fired because of their of their gender identity and so they have no other choice and I think they didn't. She she's the executive producer. She did not cut that out of the show. And I think what you're going to see is that Caitlyn Jenner is going to become a liberal. But that's just my prediction. <laughs> that's not, her. That's we, her Kate, next transformation. That's the next becoming transformation. a liberal. Look at that. She's going to start to get it eventually. Or at well, least I hope so. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Some more armchair liberals. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. would like to shift gears sure. a bit. In case you guys did not know, this is the one-year anniversary of Michael Brown's death. Yep. and Or as I like to call, the day I lost all patience and Fs to give for white... Um, what was it? White sympathy? That's Apologists. Right. White, white America? Yes. Oh. No, I didn't know what I didn't know where he was going with it. No, that's not what I almost cursed. But yeah, no. But um, yeah. And like they've been having a lot of actions to celebrate this. There's supposed to be a big action today in Harlem, actually. And I'm thinking about possibly going Um, and just like they've been like talking to a lot of the people who really who've really been involved throughout the year in the Black Lives Matter movement. And there was a, a nice and I don't say that in a good way, interview with Darren Wilson, apparently. Mm. Oh, yeah, we're talking about how hard his life is now. Yes, 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 how hard his life is. And he totally missed the boat on the institutionalized racism thing. Like, right over his head, wave Mm -hmm. goodbye. Yep, and how, like, his mother was a thief, and she used to, like, steal money from people and and run scams, but she was a good person, but Michael Brown was just, ugh, Mm. that young Negro. You know, speaking of this, did you see that uh, apparently a law enforcement group is in some hot water because of a very racist thing they've been sharing around the internet? I saw that, yes. What what is that? What is that? Um, So it's a plaque, and it's sort of written out as a poem, um, Mm. but it is... uh, here lies here lies Michael Brown, who um act like a thug. A cop put him down. Oh, and then um, and and now all the people want to cry, go in the streets and riot. Something while, along like, those lines. Pretty blatant. Yeah, I mean yeah. it is um. You know, have some couth, right? You know, yeah. like people are allowed to feel the the way that they're they're allowed had about to feel because you have two different things, right? You have the bigger picture problem of the institutionalized racism, right? I think that's kind of the thing that like we're trying to combat as civil rights activists. Yeah. But then you also have the, you know, the individual actors, right? And there's individual times uh, where, you know, there's questions about whether or not the police were in the right or the wrong, and that is 
separate and apart, although related to the bigger picture. And so you can feel the way you feel about the events that happened on that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you still have to acknowledge the bigger picture. Those two things have to in some ways be yep. related, but be separate and apart because they are two different things. Yep. And now just to shift gears again, and this is not to undercut that, like, you know, Mike yes. Brown's death, but. Also, in the same vein, so we know the Black Lives Matter movement has been very active in the last year, fighting for and standing up for and speaking out for the names of the people who have been killed by, um, unarmed while being killed by police. And they've been going out to politicians, and one of the politicians mm-hmm. they seem to have taken a liking to is Bernie Sanders. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they um, interrupted his um, a forum that he was doing with Mark O'Malley at the Netroots convention, I think about two weeks ago. And you know what? Bernie Sanders responded very poorly. He didn't have good answers. And he said, more or less, well, I marched with Dr. King, and if you don't want me here, I won't be here. After that, he became like, he started to speak up about like black issues of Black Lives Matter. He came out with a video speaking directly to the black community saying why he wanted to be their president. And in my opinion, has really changed the tone of like his campaign in, reg- in regards to black issues. Yesterday in Seattle, he was going to speak to 15,000 people and Black Lives Matter protesters interrupted his speech mm-hmm. again. So um, I, I know I have my opinions on this, but I want to give you guys a chance to respond first. Well, they didn't just like heckle him. They literally got on the stage and started yelling, this is why my black life matters. And this is what I had to do just to let you guys know. I had to go through all of these people just to get up here. And Bernie Sanders stood on the side patiently waiting. And eventually he just walked off the stage without even addressing the crowd. And he was supposed to speak about Medicare, Social Security. He had this whole agenda. He didn't even get a chance to speak. And my reaction was, what is the point of this? I think that the Black Lives Matter movement going about it in this way is not is not strategic. And I don't think that you're you're helping to galvanize the base around your issue. I think that you are actually turning people off because it's it's like I am a part of the Black Lives Movement and I'm like, this was very disrespectful and there's no point of it. Bernie Sanders is on our side. Yes, he can do more, but there's other ways to, to push him and to pressure him to do more. This is not one of those ways. No, I agree with that. I mean, I'm I've been very active in the Black Lives Matter movement and very active just in the civil rights issues in general uh, in the position that I occupied doing civil rights law. And I just don't feel like this was the right way to go about it. Like, I understand the first action and I'm for interruptions and stuff like that. I think that they are useful. But at the same time, when you have a candidate like Bernie Sanders who has come out and cares about these issues and maybe did not address it the way he should have addressed it the first time around, but has changed his way of, you know, have not changed his way of thinking, but, you know, said, you know what, they're right. I need to address this issue. And then you continue to do that. I just, I don't think it makes the movement look good. It, it, it's, it's, it, it shows in some ways a certain level of immaturity. And if you really want to have gains in this movement, you need to have the maturity level to, you don't have to necessarily work within the system, but you have to have the maturity level to be heard in the right way. And I don't, just don't think that was the right way to do it. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I, I'm against it, but I mean, it certainly, I don't know if it was effective, but I also don't know what the alternative should have been. And yeah. so, and I understand the frustration and I understand the, the you know, want to do something like that. Um, I don't know if it was as effective as something else could have been, but I don't know what that other action is. So I can't really form a solid opinion on it. So Honest here, opinion. here is my thing on it, my opinion on this. The first time, I was absolutely for it because Bernie Sanders was not talking about black issues. Yeah. It was not on his radar. He was like, oh, if you address income inequality, you address issues dealing with people of color. And 
yes and no, because a big issue in communities of color is income inequality and lack of access, but there is still institutionalized racism, and he was not thinking about that. And since then, he has been very vocal on that. Now, I'm saying this because I do not know what their strategy was, what their goal was for this action. And maybe if I did know, or maybe if I found out later, I might change my mind. But at this point, I don't see how what they did was was helpful. If they did this to Hillary Clinton or to a Jeb Bush or to someone who's not talking about this or someone who has been like taking advantage of the black community and not like sh- like showing their money, like, you know, practicing what they preach, yeah, putting the money where their mouth is so that I can get it. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I like the way that he changed his tone after the first time. And at this point, it just I don't politically, it, I don't think it's the best strategy. Um, as far as like the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't understand like why it was helpful. You know, and, and I just wanted to read you a comment that I was reading. And, and, and obviously this comes from Robert Reich, who is a white guy who mm-hmm. like worked, you know, so like I, I'll put that out there and you can feel free to agree or disagree. And I'll paraphrase part of it. But he said that, you know, Sunday marks the first anniversary of the killing of Michael Brown. It's one marker in a long, tragic tale of institutionalized racism and the failure of our system of justice to respond to the constitutional requisite of equal protection under the law. He said it also signifies another failure, the failure of America to fill the prom- promise of equal opportunity and upward mobility. The second failing transcends race. Poor working class and many in the middle class, white, black, and Latino have seen the American dream transformed into a nightmare of joblessness, of insecure jobs and declining wages. Um, and then he ends by saying this, we have no chance of overcoming either, either of these, meaning institutionalized racism and income inequality, endemic failures if we do not work together. For years, the right wing has gained political ground by dividing us by race. By all means, let's make a ruckus, but we must direct that ruckus at the moneyed interests and their political puppets rather than at one another. And I think that's sort of the point both you and I are trying to make. Yes and no. Oh, okay. We had to work together, however... There's been a there's been a propensity to put like we'll work together, but your issues have to go to the wayside until we get this victory. And right. I think that is a problem. And if you want to stay in the forefront, that's fine. But he's listening now, so why are we not like trying to influence like the campaign mm-hmm. and like his platform? I don't know if it's necessarily if it's necessary to like to be shutting down a speech. I don't know how much that helps. Right. So I'm I'm half I'm half and half with you on that one, Alyssa. All right. Well, um, guys. Before we go to break, I just wanted to throw in really quickly the Allure magazine um, that came out. The Allure magazine article came out encouraging white women to start wearing afros. However, it was very problematic because it did not acknowledge the significance behind afros, which has been worn with so much black pride, especially in the 60s and in the 70s. And just to mention the fact that I have to go through and a lot of the black women have to go through so many rigorous like a a strong rigorous process just to get their hair straightened to assimilate I mean there's been times I wanted to have braids or I wanted to do different hairstyles but people have been like um no because you have a job interview or no Mm -hmm. because you got to go to work and I know black women who will wear their style wear their hair in a certain style on the weekends and take it out and make it look a a totally different way when they go to work because you don't want to be that woman Woman, that black girl in the office who gets mistaken for Shanene. So, oh. or, or call that. Like, you know, it's just it's just a stereotype. What's wrong with Shanene? Nothing. But the thing is, we it's just this black stereotype of women. And it's like, if you look like you were born, there's something wrong with that. Mm. So the Law Magazine failed to address that. But on that note, we are going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking about the Voting Rights Act right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Right. That that reminded me, did you get the Instagram tag I posted on with this young boy? He started rapping in his music class using curses and he was like he was rapping to Bobby Schmurder's song and I he am. was like, I eat my I eat my rice and cabbage. 
It was hilarious. And you just reminded me of him. Yes, yes. Thank and you he's very viral much, guys. now. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem, where we talk about politics and social issues and Black Lives Matter because they always matter. And what is um, trans lives matter because they always matter. And women <laughs> lives matter. And black women lives matter. And lives matter. And also fried chicken, Hennessy, and hookah is a good way to spend your Thursday night. But I did not spend my way that I did not spend my Thursday night that way. I had whiskey and hot wings and hookah. And so, Republican oh, banter. Yes, yes. God bless the base God. But guys, <laughs> we are not here to talk about the Republicans at this very moment, at least not right well, now. We kind of. It's always time for Republicans, yeah. right? What we are doing at the moment is looking at me on the Ustream cam where my shirt says training to be Goku. If you don't know what that means, you need to watch Dragon Ball Z yesterday. Yeah, I need to catch up on that because I didn't get it. <laughs> don't. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you can Anyways, continue. guys. Such a loser. Um, we are here because the other day just marked the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. In case, in case you don't know what the Voting Rights Act is, it is a law that was passed in 1965. Oh, I was going to say four. Five. Wasn't the Civil Rights Act in 65? Voting Rights Act is 1965. Okay. March of 1965. So oh, thank yeah. You. Yeah. So and, passed in 1965. And yes, and it was passed by Lyndon B. Johnson. Of course, we know that the civil rights movement and civil rights leaders like um, Martin Luther King Jr. and a number of nameless people, um, they, they pressured President Lyndon B. Johnson to pass this legislation. And it was one of the most historic pieces of legislation in our country because it said that it is no longer legal for states and um, local officials to use discriminatory practices to keep blacks and, and people of color and Hispanics from, from voting. You know, you can no longer use the grandfather clause or, you know, just demand that people write verses from the, the Constitution in order to vote. But you know what? Even though this historic piece was passed in 1965 and we, we commemorated its anniversary 50 years ago, I mean, excuse me, um, a few days ago, it's still under attack. And we've seen that, you know, when we look at the Supreme Court case in 2013 that struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And that was one of the most crucial pieces of legislation because it said that no longer are states who have a history of discriminatory practices, no longer do they have to get preclearance from the federal government in order to change any of their election rules. So once that was out the window, you had Texas and all of these other states just lying up to pass these laws that would again strategically keep a certain demographic and a certain base of people from the polls and unfortunately i just gave stanley's full intro yeah <laughs> but he's going to be back just momentarily and we're going to continue the conversation stanley i'm sorry i want you guys to know that Alyssa, i mean not Alyssa, selena had the police call me and they stopped and frisked <laughs> me through the phone I so i was unable to give my introduction i'm sorry i know you, you planned for that stanley a bully selena i'm sorry about that and i hate you with all of my heart no, it's all good I though do, i do not i do not hate you with all of my heart just most of it the rest of it is for jackie that's yeah. where the hatred comes from yeah that's right so um i didn't even get to hear what you were saying but i'm i'm gonna pick up from the 50th anniversary yes <laughs> and we also know that the voting rights act was repealed well well section four of the voting rights Act. section five it's section four which just empowers section five because section yes. five is what lets you pick the states section four creates a formula Right, the but the Section 4 is still in place, which is definitely a key thing to note because that's sort of what's being used now to challenge some of these laws. No. Yes. We'll, we'll that's to, what the Justice Department is using, Section 4. We'll, 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 have to, we'll have to check that out there. We'll have to check no, that. It's like a verifiable fact. It's no, okay. no. We I, can I'm check not, it out. <laughs> so we'll check that out, and then I'll confirm a few when we go on our next break. But anyways, we know the Voting Rights Act has been disempowered, and because of that, um, because of that, we've been— 
we've had a lot of different states pushing all of these anti-voting pieces of legislation in there. And since it was a, a section of the Voting Rights Act was repealed back in 2013, I believe it was now, mm-hmm. we have had over 100 different voter ID laws be pushed through, which makes us ask the question, are, are the rights of voters under attack? And by the rights of voters, mm-hmm. I mean... Are they under attack from all people, or are they under, are they under attack for just a certain group of people? So what we're going to have here is kind of a bit of an open discussion about voting acts and gen- excuse me, voting rights in general. Um, who's being attacked? What we'd like to see happen, and also what kind of laws have been being pushed in these states? As we know, in over twenty-two states, there's some kind of law on the books or being pushed on the books to restrict the access of voters. So let's start it off with there. The Voting Rights Act, a section of it was repealed. Um, we'll talk about the section once we get a fact check later on. But like, who like who is feeling the brunt of the effects from this law being repealed? And I guess we'll start with Jackie because her eyes are the widest. Um, poor people, people of color, students. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of voter ID laws can be spun to sound good if if you don't know the history of voting rights in this country, right? Where I hear a lot of people say, well, yeah, I mean, why shouldn't you just show your identity at the polls? That should be a no-brainer. But that's very problematic in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has an ID. Um, if you live in a state, let's say I... You know, I'm a college student. I'm from New York, but I'm spending 10 months of the year living in Pennsylvania, right, mm-hmm. um, where these laws are, you know, I th- think enacted or yeah, they will be enacted. Yeah, Virginia, a lot of places, um, yeah. So let's say I live two months of the year in New York and mm-hmm. I have a New York state driver's license, but as a student, I'm, most of my time is spent in Pennsylvania. I cannot vote if I don't have a Pennsylvania ID, right? Yeah. Or if I don't have an ID that fits, you know, because I'm technically a resident of New York State. Yeah. So it disenfranchises students in that way. It disenfranchises people that can't afford a state ID, right? So it goes back to why this law was enacted in the first place. People were charged poll taxes and things like that. So it sort of stands as a poll tax, right? Yeah. If you have to spend, I mean, IDs are expensive. If anyone that's ever had to, you know, get a new driver's license or replace theirs knows it can be upwards of a hundred bucks, right? So it's a, a poll tax right there in of itself. Um, and it just puts up this extra barrier. You know, there's not a lot of cases of voter fraud. And I know, like, the Republican Party likes to say that there is and that this is a huge issue that we need to be facing when it's not. It's like a made up issue. It's really not a big deal. Um, and it just puts in place these extra barriers that keep people from getting to the polls. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I mean, just to further answer your question, who do who are they trying to stop from voting? It's it's people who generally vote for Democrats, yes. right? People who are poor, minorities, et cetera, et cetera, all the people that Jackie mentioned. I Funny enough, I also wrote down it's a poll tax, uh, you know, for the reason you mentioned, but also because it actually costs money to get an ID, which makes it a, a yeah. lit, an actual poll tax, which is they're saying one of the things about voting is you don't have to pay any money to do it. If you're saying now somebody needs this ID... And then it costs them money to go get the ID or let's say they need to get their birth certificate in order to get the ID and then they have to pay for that. So whether it's directly a poll tax or whether there's like six degrees of separation, but there still is a money involvement, which is very difficult. Then there's also just the logistics. For example, one of the women who was affected by this was a woman named Vivian Applewhite, right? Vivian was born... I think in the early 1900s or the late 1800s, she has voted in every single election since she turned 18, and she's never had any problems voting until... I guess it was 2008 when she went to go vote, and she did not have the proper ID. Um, And she said, you know... 
in order for I don't have my birth certificate because I was born like before you know they had the kind of birth certificates we have now like in order for me to get the documents that I need just to get an ID she was like I'm 93 years old I don't drive you know like it would call you know I would have to take public transportation an hour and a half in order to be able to get the birth certificate and then take another bus for another hour in order to go to the DMV to get the ID like the just the burden the onus and this is like on elderly people put aside the fact that she was a little sweet old black lady which you know is neither here nor there because whether she was white or black like she still would have the onus would have still been the same on her as an elderly person to travel to get right. that right. ID. And and just to add on, um, I think that what's so telling about these laws that are being implemented in the last few years is voter fraud is a non-issue and it has been a non-issue and as soon as we elect the first black president all of a sudden people are like we got to take the country back and how are we going to do it let's stop them from voting let's push the country back 55 years before the voting rights act was even implemented and let's just get in these let's get these people to stop voting well, no, they didn't necessarily say that, but I'm just saying that it's telling, and it definitely alludes to that. Some of them so, have come out and actually said <laughs> oh, yeah, that. That's true. Yeah. That's so, true. Very true in Pennsylvania, actually. Yes. So let's take a step back, guys. When the Voting Rights Act was first passed, as a person of color, you could be killed. You could lose your job. You could be chased out of town. You could be physically assaulted or attacked or harassed if you were registered to vote. And in order to stop you from registering to vote, they had all sorts of things. So you had to take a literacy test. You had to pay a poll tax. You had to like answer like you had to answer all kinds of questions about who was what part of the globe. And it was really based on the poll workers discretion. Mm hmm on whether you were going to be able to get registered. So much so that they had a whole bunch of different campaigns and organizations, including Freedom Summer, where they were trying to register people to vote. And those campaigns failed largely because of the Ku Klux Klan going out there and killing people and threatening and embarrassing people. And the Voting Rights Act was supposed to do what? Stop people from being punished and infringed upon when they were trying to register to vote. It was to protect that right. And that was like the biggest piece of it. In 2015, the argument from many Supreme Court justices, well, maybe one or two, was that that issue was not the same anymore. So while some of these laws that they're pushing to make voting a little bit harder can seem difficult, it's within reason. So one of those things is the ID. And we'll, we'll stick with that for the time being because I really want to get you guys answer. And I, th I think Jackie sort of answered it already. But why is what's so difficult about getting an ID if and if it is hard for some people why aren't we investing more money in just making it easier to get IDs instead of like not making that a requirement first of all I did answer it because it's expensive right mm -hmm. it's expensive for people to get an ID no so I'm saying why are we making why aren't we focusing on making it easier then well then why why put those laws in place in the first place right like some people don't need an ID mm -hmm. right if you're not a driver you don't need a driver's license um you you know some people just don't need it they live their life no problem if there's a US citizen and they're eligible to vote they should be able to vote they don't need to you know we don't need to invest money into this other thing like just let people vote if they're eligible to do so I mean when you register to vote in New York State you have to show your ID when you first go register. That ensures that you are the person you say you are when you register. And that's he, not even true. And that's not even fully true. That's not even true. To register to vote, the only time that the um, that your polling location can ask you for your ID when you get to the polls is if you didn't submit a certain pi uh, piece of 
information on your voter registration form. So all you need to register to vote is if you have a DMV or an ID number, um, that number or the last four digits of your social security number on yeah. the form. Um, so it's not even you don't even need an ID. ID. Yeah, no. OK, no, I, I think an I was ID thinking or of a, a, no, I thank you for correcting me on that. I think I was thinking about another state where like you actually when you go to register, you show your ID. And so like you don't have to show it every time you vote. Plus, there's also this false equivalency argument like, oh, well, you show ID to buy cigarettes and you show ID to buy beer like you know and like so but like we're not talking about buying beer right. and buying right. cigarettes like right. we're talking about voting right you know like the, I hate when people bring that up and it's such a false equivalency like Absolutely. you know like, and it's it, it's a non sequitur the two things are completely have nothing whatsoever to do with each other and you know what it may be true that a majority of people do have IDs but like that's not the point the point is there are a lot of people that don't have IDs they don't need to have them and they shouldn't have to go out of their way to get them just to vote. And to even further that point before I throw it over to Selena, is that they're not trying to solve a problem that exists, which I think you mentioned. Like, there was four cases of in-person voter fraud, because that's the only type of voter fraud that an ID combats, is in-person voter fraud. There was four cases in 10 years. You know what problem (sighs) they are trying to combat? And some of them, as I pointed out, have come out and said it, the problem that black people vote. That's the problem that they're really trying to combat, which to most of us who are, you know, not racist, that isn't (laughs) a problem at all. But to old grumpy white men that are Republicans that want to, quote unquote, take their country back, the fact that minorities and women vote is the problem. And that's the problem they're trying to solve. And the problem is, like Alyssa mentioned, they vote Democrat. Um, There's also been a lot of debate in-house about, you know, are they trying to specifically stop minorities and and women? Or is it just about just stopping the Democratic race from progressing and winning elections? And I just wanted to, you know, piggyback because voting is a fundamental right here in America. And I think that we should make it easier to allow people to vote. And that's exactly what the discussion we're having about is why make it difficult? Because if something is, 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 is something that we should all do in order to help our democratic process. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that about it being a fundamental right because that's actually, like, not set, right? So, like, certain rights are actually, like, explicitly in the Constitution, and although the Constitution mentions voting many, many times in the beginning of it, there's nowhere, like, like, the First Amendment explicitly says you have the right to freedom of speech. There's actually nowhere in the Constitution other than in the articles where it talks about voting that explicitly says there's a constitutional right to vote, um, which I know sounds crazy to people because it is fundamental as you point out but like I think this is part of the problem and maybe I'm skipping a a, a little too far ahead and and we can come back but like if I was to come up with with a solution to this issue I would say that we actually need a constitutional amendment that explicitly says that voting is a constitutional right which means if the government wanted to infringe on that right they would have to show that they had a compelling purpose for doing so not just some rational or legitimate purpose like it would be a very high standard known as strict scrutiny and they would have to show that the laws that they passed are the least restrictive means in order to meet that compelling purpose and that they do not infringe on that right in such a way that is more restrictive than it is less restrictive. I really think that's the what we need going forward in this country in order to solve this issue completely. What you're trying to do is make sense and they don't make sense in Congress. But guys, we'll be <laughs> right back after this quick break. When we return, we'll be talking about, one, the number of laws that have been pushed forward or passed to restrict voting, and then also some of our some of our ideas for voting rights. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back after this quick break. Ooh, 
We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I think everyone in here likes that song a lot. Yeah, what song is that? It's called Mind Your Business, Jackie. <laughs> um, so, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Before we get back to busting Jackie's chops, I know um, Alyssa wanted to address um, a caller's question off air. So, Alyssa? Yeah, no, I just wanted to address something. Apparently, I made a comment during the news roundup where I was trying to um, make a comment about privilege and about how Kelly Osborne has privilege, and so she was disconnected from what people were talking about on The View uh, when it came to Hispanics. And then I also was using that as a way to shift gears to talk about a different news story to talk about how Caitlyn Jenner also has privilege and how that privilege comes out in her not understanding transgender issues. So the connection that I was trying to make wasn't between Hispanics and transgender issues. The connection that I was trying to make was the idea of privilege and how Kelly Osborne has such a privilege so she feels or makes comments that are very privileged with respect to Latinos and how Caitlyn Jenner has privilege and so she feels or makes comments that are very you can tell are very privileged with respect to other members of the transgender community so the, the crux of that was about privilege thank you so much for that Alyssa and thank you for the caller who called in you know listen, we, we love it when you guys call in with questions or comments and if you're confused you can always feel free to call in to get some clarity and hopefully that accomplished that goal but we want to talk about a big case that may be going to the Supreme Court so I'm going to pass it on to my usual lawyer the one that gets me out of prison for drinking too much Hennessy on a weekday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would hope not. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, on this, obviously, after, as you mentioned, after Section 5 was um, overturned in the county, uh, Shelby County case, so, uh, Section 4, okay, well, we have that right. So it was Section <laughs> 4, that um, okay, can we it was clear it up? We'll call it, up it, we'll call it the preclearance requirement so that we don't confuse you on which section of the law it actually was. But needless to say, one of the sections of the Voting Rights Act was struck down as being unconstitutional. That was the preclearance requirement. After that, many states started to go forward with a lot of these restrictive voter ID laws. And one of those states was Texas. So on Wednesday, a federal appeals panel in the Fifth Circuit ruled that this strict voter ID law in Texas discriminated against black and Hispanics. And even though the preclearance requirement was gone, it violated the Voting Rights Act of of 1965. Um, It's a decision that a lot of (coughs) election experts are calling an important step towards towards defining the reach of the landmark law. Um, But what's so interesting about it is it may set up the next thing that goes up to the Supreme Court, potentially. If Texas does appeal this up further up to the Supreme Court, then the Supreme Court is going to rule on this law and they're going to make a determination about whether or not that, um, sorry, whether or not this restrictive voter law in Texas actually violated the Constitution or not. Um, And what's so I guess concerning to me about that is, you know, if the Supreme Court decides to take this case, they could say like, on one hand, they could say, no, this was discrimination, this discriminated and laws like this, or at least the way the Texas one was written cannot stand. On the other hand, the Supreme Court could look at this and say, hey, listen, we don't think this violates the Voting Rights Act. And if the Supreme Court says that, then Texas is going to go forward and they're going to implement that law. But Texas isn't going to be the only state that does that. It's going to be Texas and it's going to be all these other states that have been pushing for these laws. And it's going to, you know, really be a really, really big setback. So on one hand, while it's really good that a federal court of appeals has ruled that this law is unconstitutional and violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965, on the other hand, it's sort of really bad because it sets it up for this to issue to go back up to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And that's a really scary prospect with the yeah. you know the five to four kind of balance that we've seen on the court when it comes to this decision. No, and, and you know what? And 
I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if this is not like this is one of the many cases that goes to the, to the Supreme Court because we know we have states who have been looking to restrict the amount of the day like the early voting register the, the early voting they've been looking to restrict the kind of IDs you can use for voting but then they have also been looking to restrict voter registration drives so not just the, the opportunity to go and vote but then also the opportunity to register to vote and be able to have a voice and but while those things are happening we have seen an upswing and people passing pushing legislation to expand the right to vote so since 2011 we have had at least 340 expansive bills that would increase access to voting and they were introduced in 42 plus states including the district of columbia 12 states plus the, the, the district of columbia have passed 19 expansive bills including one state wyoming which is pushing a bill right now that would pre-register people who turn 16 years old to vote which would make the process a lot easier and with things like this happening and an opportunity to really make a difference in the voting process what are some things that you think we can incorporate if we were to able to, able to like reinstate the entire voting rights act what are some things you think we can incorporate to strengthen voting for the next generation? And I'll start with Jackie because, once again, she's all awake. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm always right. Um, I love that idea of pre-registering 16-year-olds. I think, I mean, part of what I do for a living is register college students to vote. Um, and um, it's great when, you know, I'll have a conversation with a student that says, oh, I had a great high school teacher that registered all of us to vote. Um, I just spoke to someone last week who said, yeah, I haven't registered to vote yet because I missed that day in class. I was out sick. And so the day where they registered everyone, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big problem. You know, there's there's very little little civic education in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kids grow up not taking part in the political process. Um, you know, maybe you grow up in a household that's political um, and that's not necessarily a good thing because your um, ideals and you know things that you know might be influenced by parents that may or may not you know watch Fox News all day every day or <laughs> be you know have I don't know so um, so I think pre-registering 16 year olds I mean as it is right now you can register to vote if you're 17 if you will be 18 before the end of the year um, but I think just getting people in the loop sooner so that by the time they're 18 they're primed and ready to take part in these elections is a big deal I mean that's what we saw you know students vo- have voted I mean in 2012 I think they voted um, and young voters 18 to 29 year olds voted in higher numbers than ever before and that really influences elections. Um, And these are people that, you know, people, conservatives trying to alter the Voting Rights Act are afraid of, right? Because they really can sway elections in a more liberal direction. So I think that would be number one, my top suggestion, register people earlier. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with all of that, including the civic education and the registration. Um, You know, I know we sort of talked about this and and the idea should be like we shouldn't have these strict voter ID laws. I totally agree with that. But I also think another thing that we can do, assuming that these states are going to move forward with these types of proposals and we don't know what the legal landscape is going to be, is right now when you have a Social Security card, when you know, you you get a Social Security card, right? That like you get a birth certificate, you get a Social Security card. I think that one of those things is that when you turn 18, the government should automatically send you like a like kind of a voter ID. Basically, everybody yeah. gets it. It's it's paid for by the government. If you're an American citizen and you have and you, the government will know because of your Social Security number. Right. I mean, now, obviously, there's some other logistical problems that could arise because like anything, when you create one thing, one solution to deal with one issue, it always, you know, it's like uh, other issues will pop up. So I don't discount the fact that there could be other issues that and logistics that would need to be sorted out. But basically, when you turn 18, you get 
a voter ID in the mail. Not only are you automatically registered the day, you know, forget even yeah. registering students at 16 in schools. The day you turn, if you're an American citizen, the day you turn 18, you are automatically registered to vote and you get a card in the mail that is, a you know, an, or whatever. You, you get a thing in the mail that tells you you have to go take a picture, a current picture or some way or another that we, you know, utilize getting a picture ID to everybody. Because then if everybody in the country has a picture ID, they can make as many voter ID laws as they want. And, you know, you're going to have an ID to go vote with. Now, that may not be the best solution to deal with these problems. Obviously, I think the way to deal with these is to recognize them for what they are and say, hey, we don't really need these laws. But if they're going to move forward with these laws, then we have to start coming up with other ways to combat them. Because at the end of the day, once the Supreme Court issues a decision on, you know, X or Y voter ID law, then we're going to not be talking about how we can combat the laws anymore. We're going to be talking about what's the next step in making sure everybody can comply with the requirements that whatever it is that the court sets. Selena? Um, I would really like to see, and you know, this is wishful thinking probably, but a three-day voter weekend, meaning that people could, instead of it just being a inconvenient Tuesday that people have to go out and vote and either take off from work or call in late or, or leave work early, I think that it would be beneficial if we could vote on the weekends and then we had like a voter, a national voter day that Monday and that would get it would make it more convenient for everyone to be able to vote. And I also wanted to condemn, um, excuse me, I wanted to big up um, President Obama because just this past week he declared September 22nd National Voter Registration. Day. That, that was already a thing. Yes. But for years. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Well, okay. Well, well organized to look at you crazy. I'm sorry about <laughs> that. But that was like 800 people back in 2012 and, in mm, one day. It just remains to be said, like, obviously, the Voting Rights Act really needs to be reauthorized. It never used to be a partisan fight. It used to be every Republican and every Democratic president since 1965 has passed the Voter Rights Act with basically no opposition. So, you know, obviously, the Voting Rights Act should be reauthorized. And as I already mentioned, we should have a constitutional amendment, which makes it a constitutional right to vote. So, guys, we're going to do something interesting now. This is called the lightning round. So, in this scenario, the Voting Rights Act has been has been um, expanded, has been reinstated in completion, and then now there's a couple things on the table that we can add on there. I just want yes or no answers, no explanations, so we can make this fast. So, one of those things is online registration. We'll start with Jackie and go around. Would you be okay with having online voter registration, Jackie? Yeah. Alyssa? Yes. Selena? Yes. All right. The next part was actually something that Alyssa mentioned, which is automatic registration at the age of 18. Jackie? Yes. Alyssa? Yes. Yes. Damn, you guys are really liberal. You must like (laughs) the gays. I don't know. Uh A national holiday for Election Day. Jackie? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Alyssa? I'm on the fence about that one. Damn it, yes or no, about. Alyssa. Oh, and you mean an, a national holiday like, like everybody gets work off? Yes. I think I, I know you don't want explanations. I think people won't go out and vote if you do that, to be honest. They'll be like, oh, I have a day off. I'm going to go to vacation. I'm not going to go vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. That's I'm why all for I it. say I'm on the fence. I'm all, all right. for it. So we're going to close it out now, guys. But I wanted to do that because there were there are a lot of things on the table. Everything I mentioned over here are pieces of legislation that are up on the table right now. Some of them will get voted on. Some of them will not. What we do know is that voting is something that really should be a right and we really should consider putting it in the Constitution as something that every American has. We don't have that right now. What we have is a is a bill that was passed 50 years ago that is weakened significantly because of a Supreme Court that thought that racism was over. And what we also have is a bunch of states who think that it's a good idea to restrict the access 
for people to vote and to hurt college students from being able to vote because they're afraid of what things they might vote for. And usually what they're afraid of is that they will change the good old days to being a new world where people of all different shapes, sizes, and colors can have a voice. And the best way to shut out someone's voice you don't want to hear is to take away their access to using that voice. And that is what's what's happening right now. And on this 50th anniversary, we can celebrate the battles that were won back then, but we need to be vigilant and begin a new battle now because we are fighting for our lives and our right to vote. So guys, we'll be going on a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the police and how they're going to search things. No, I'm kidding. It's about the cameras, and the cameras are cool. Or are they? Uh, and we are back. And we're talking about how the police are watching you, and you are watching the police. Your mama. <laughs> Um, no, we're talking. <laughs> we're, we're talking the about. Are uh, watching your mama. We're talking about body cameras, uh, which are a thing these days. They're becoming more widespread. Not those um, body cameras. A lot of people <laughs> who are part of the police accountability movement think that they're good, but there's also some uh, logistical issues with them, and there's also some issues about privacy that have arisen. Um, I am going to speak specifically about the NYPD's pilot program, since we are here on WHCR Harlem Radio. We're broadcasting from New York, but many. Many of the things that I mention are going to be issues that come up with any police department all over the country that is going to institute this kind of program. And so while the quickie I may be giving right now may be a little New York specific, uh, the bigger picture is these these pieces of legislation authorizing the use of body cameras are going to be going into effect all over the country. And some of the issues that we're going to see here in New York that have arisen are also going to be issues in other places. And that's why you should care about them. So um, what is this all about? As part of its 2013 decision, um, the, a federal court found that the police department, NYPD's stop and frisk program was unconstitutional. And this federal court ordered the police department to conduct a one-year pilot program to test out cameras in five precincts that had the highest number of police stops. The department, when I say the department, I'm talking about the NYPD, although I will try and say NYPD, um, but they plan to give cameras to several dozen officers. All of these officers were people who volunteered to wear the cameras in order to test out the technology and to do a little study to figure out how this was going to work before they spent the money to give all 34,000 or however many officers are now in the NYPD cameras. The outcome of this trial program is likely going to be the key indicator in judging how well the NYPD has been complying and improving under its court orders. Um, And also it is likely to be an indicator of how the NYPD should proceed before they spend money to give cameras out to everybody. Uh, Body cameras have also been embraced by the Obama administration. Um, They've been embraced by the families of those who have been uh, unarmed black men who have been killed by police officers, and they've actually been embraced by many police departments across the country as a primary tool for improving police community relations. The reason why individuals like the cameras is because they show an objective um, you know, story about what happened, generally speaking, which is something I'm going to get into in, about a, in, a, in a few minutes or so about why they can sometimes be skewed to leave out some of the context. Um, and they've also been embraced by the police department because, you know, A lot of times people really do file false complaints against police officers and they claim that things happen that really didn't happen. So the cameras also protect police officers that are actually doing their job, right? Putting aside institutionalized racism because that's obviously a bigger picture issue that we're not going to get into. Um, And so sometimes they vindicate good officers who really are doing their jobs, right, from false complaints against them. Um, And that's why police 
departments like them as well. So these cameras, as I already mentioned, can provide documentation of disputed encounters and they're a check on the behavior of officers and also on civilians. Uh, Policing experts say much of this all depends on how these cameras are used. That's the context issue that I really want to get into and also to what degree these images are shared with the public. 54 officers wore body cameras while on patrol in New York City as part of the pilot program. Before they uh, decide to expand this program, some policy changes are definitely in order, uh, said the inspector general for the New York City Police Department in a report that was released last Thursday. One of the things he said was that officers should be directed to turn on the devices more frequently when they are engaging suspects and less often when they are with victims and informers. So let me play that out for you. A lot of what they saw was that the officer would turn the camera on um, after the encounter had already started rather than before it started, which means you can leave out a crucial piece of evidence about the first, you know, 30 seconds or a minute of a police encounter. But the other problem was sometimes police would leave them on when they were talking to victims, like the victim of a sexual assault, or when they were talking to an informant, somebody who was snitching on other people about something that was going on in the neighborhood. And so the report said... They really should turn them on sooner when they're having encounters with suspects, but they should shut them off for privacy reasons. If I want to tell you about, for example, how I've been sexually assaulted, I don't necessarily want that to be retained in the camera and potentially be available when somebody from the public, maybe my assailant, wants to send out a FOIL request, which is a Freedom of Information Law request, to see the interview Mm -hmm. that I gave with the police department. So there's definitely some issues about privacy and about victim services because, you know, there has to be a balance. Um, Another thing that the inspector general said was that the video that was generated on patrol should be kept for at least 18 months rather than the 12 months under the current policy. The reason for this is is maybe somebody wants to file a lawsuit. I mean, I'll give you an example. Federal law allows three years for you to file a lawsuit from the date of the incident under Section 1983 of Title 42. That is the section that lawyers use to bring civil rights actions in federal court against the police department. If a client comes into my office and let's say it's three or four days before the three-year period of time would run for me to file the lawsuit and then I file it and then I the person says, well, it was on a body camera and they're only retaining the stuff for a year, that means that that video is now gone. In fact, I personally think that the video should be kept for up to three years, not even 18 months, right. to deal with this issue of it tracking the amount of time somebody has to bring a lawsuit against the police department under federal law, which is three years. So I actually think that should be expanded personally to three-year period. Um, Also, the inspector general said that the consequences of failing to record when you have to do so should be made clear. Um, there, uh, which is, if an officer does not record when he is supposed to, officers should know, you know, you did not properly record, and these are going to be the consequences of your actions. So that this isn't just something that has no teeth; that officers actually take it seriously. Um, there's still some questions that remain. Basic questions such as the use of the, um, sorry, including how much discretion officers should have in deciding what to record and when. I already mention that? Who should have access to the video footage? Should it be the general public? Should it be lawyers? Should it be um, policy activists? Um, Who should be able to access it? And um, when officers should uh, 
have full discretion. Some officers actually left their camera running the entire time. That wasn't helpful. Right. Um, it recorded too much video, and sometimes it recorded these interactions that sh- shouldn't have been recorded that lead to privacy concerns. That's another concern that I have, which is yeah. now the government is walking around and they're recording everything all the time. What's to stop them now from going back and looking through, getting somebody to look through all that video and say, oh, you know, we didn't catch this at this time, but this person was committing a crime, you know, and we have it on video. So, uh, you know, two years later, we're going to show up at somebody's house because we now went back through all these videos because the government is constantly walking around monitoring everything that everybody's doing. So that's a real concern as a privacy advocate is I want stuff to be on camera, but I also don't want everything to be recorded that it's like Big Brother where it's like a camera is running 24-7 on every American citizen in the country who goes out on the street. Uh, that's another issue that needs to be um, worked out. Um, anyways, last but not least, I want to talk about one more thing before we close out the show. But among the most significant recommendations is the report urges the broadening of routine interactions and says that officers should record all investigative encounters. Uh, the current guidelines require that an officer record where there is, quote, unquote, reasonable suspicion of a crime, but the report said that the threshold was too limited and could miss key elements preceding a street encounter. I already sort of mentioned that earlier. At the same time, as I said, the inspector general said that when there's investigations about certain sex crime, victims, abuse, children, and informants, there should be limited amount of recording on that stuff. Um, and the inspector general also says that we should have a standard model notification alert to people who are being recorded. Um, What that means is people should know that they're being recorded when they're on the street. And the inspector general proposed uh, that the police officers, similar to Miranda, you have the right to remain silent, would have to say, I am advising you that our interaction is being recorded. If this is adopted, it would become a staple of policing, same as you have the right to remain silent. Um, So I definitely think that cameras are good. I can't wait to see the NYPD implement them, but there are some significant issues that need to be worked out. And it was very smart of the NYPD. And yes, that's right. In once in a while, I am praising them. Um, So (laughs) I think it was very smart of the NYPD to do a test run. And I actually think it would be smart of them to do two or three additional test runs before this goes live to everybody. This way we have this down and we know as the public and the police officers know, and everybody is on the same page about what's being recorded, when it's being recorded, and then how long we're keeping those recordings for. Yeah, beta testing makes sense. So, guys, we got to get the hell out of here. Oh, can I just mention we won't be doing a live show next weekend because it's Harlem Week, and WATR will be broadcasting live from Harlem Week. So, look out Harlem for Harlem Hospital. Harlem Hospital, thank you. So, look out there. for us. Yes, and Stanley will be there. If you want to meet Stanley live in person, you can catch him at Harlem Hospital he next will be weekend. Repping, let your voice be heard, radio. Yo, wearing our t-shirt wrist. look look for <laughs> the t-shirt yes, look for the right. t-shirt we'll be back next week guys Two until weeks. then we have a question for you because we want to know why you haven't been donating yet and this song <laughs> is about that <laughs>